Psalm 92 is considered a psalm for Sabbath days. It is the Sabbath psalm. And so let us begin with uh, the first few verses of this psalm. Lord, it is good to give you thanks and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. To declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. With the ten-stringed lute and with the harp, with resounding music upon the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord. Your thoughts are very deep. Father in heaven, we come to you this morning thanking you for the gift of worship. We thank you, our Father, that you have allowed us by your Holy Spirit to understand the deeper truths of your word. We thank you that you have put a song in our hearts that we might praise you, that we might sing out to you with joy. And that you've gifted people, Lord God, and given them skill to play musical instruments to accompany us. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Amen. Open our eyes and our hearts this morning, Lord, as we look to your word. Because we know for a fact that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. So my purpose today is to accomplish something concerning the fourth commandment that we've been looking at, and that is to practically apply it. And so in the first message in this series on the Sabbath, I compared the heart of Exodus chapter 20 and verses 8 through 11 to a famous liniment that promised that it would penetrate deep into sore muscles, bringing fast, soothing relief from aches and pains. And I stated then that Sabbath rest, the thrust of the fourth commandment, is like spiritual Ben Gay. It promises to penetrate deep, to bring relief and to soothe and restore our tired, sore, overworked spiritual muscles. In other words, Sabbath rest, I said, is the salve of the soul. And I still maintain that analogy. The key, however, is that in order for us to experience relief and restoration like Ben Gay, it's not enough to read the label. You know about its promises or even to hold it, the medicine in your hands. That's not enough. We have to actually rub it in, right? And that's my emphatic purpose in today's message is to rub it in. So I want to encourage you to, to take the fourth commandment, squeeze out its practical contents and apply it liberally. Face it, some of us are tired. We're spiritually sore, mentally drained, physically spent possibly. All of us need the benefits of Sabbath rest. We need it physically, we need it emotionally, we need it spiritually, and that's why God gave it to us. Because most of us are like the Peanuts comic that appeared in one Sunday morning paper. Lucy's offering one of her unsolicited observations about life to a dismayed Charlie Brown. Life, she muses, is like a deck chair. Some place it so they can see where they're going. Some place it so they can see where they've been. 
and some places so they can see where they are at present. Charlie Brown replies predictably, I can't even get mine unfolded. <laughs> and in today's hurried lifestyle, most of us may feel like we can't get our lives unfolded. Can't get it wrapped around this idea of Sabbath rest. Well, would you like to be rejuvenated? Would you like your life to unfold in a somewhat sane manner? Then you must understand the importance of Sabbath rest as it applies to us today. In order to make that application or begin to make it this week, let's review a few things about the God-ordained Sabbath in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, which we've been looking at. And Moses uh, records God's words, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you're to labor, do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. In it, you're not supposed to do any work. Your son, your daughter, your male, your female servant, or your cattle, or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed it, the Sabbath day, and made it holy. That's where we've been at for the last couple of weeks. So let me do a quick recap. For those of you that have not been with us, let's see if I can get through this fast. Ready? We're going to go fast. Fast. We need to remember what it was originally. Okay? It was a personal command. God said to the Israelites, mark this day out, keep it unique, reserve it, respect it, it's my gift to you. I have my reasons. It was a purposeful command, too. And there were three primary purposes we saw. To rest from labor. Okay, there's nothing spiritual about a nervous breakdown or a heart attack. God says rest is serious business. Number two, to remember his deliverance. The day was designed for a reflection about all that God has done to deliver the Israelites specifically from bondage because they were slaves and they never got a day off, but for us, from our slavery to sin. So it was intricately tied to worship. Thirdly, to respect the relationship that they had with God. Keeping the Sabbath with Israel's spiritual thermometer. It was God's gift to God's people. So that's what it was originally. Secondly, we saw to remind ourselves what it became religiously. That last week we looked at that. Okay, and I got one word which summarized what it became religiously to the Pharisees and to Israel. Ridiculous. It became ridiculous. The day which God had created for physical recuperation, personal reflection, and spiritual recalibration became the ultimate ball and chain that people had to drag around with them. Legalism, rigid rules, tight-fisted religious regulations strangled the true meaning of the Sabbath. And people became slaves to that. In one of her journal entries, Gail McDonald identifies just what God's command to rest is all about. She writes, it's not a rule that restricts, but it's a rule that liberates. For he made me to need rest, and physically and mentally we are freed to better performance if we live within his design specifications. And that's precisely what Jesus meant when he said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So what are those design specifications? And how does this fourth commandment apply to the church today? Now to understand that, it's not enough just to know what it was originally, what it became religiously, but also what it is spiritually. And Jesus and Paul clarified that issue and confirmed it, that God, Christ is Lord of the Sabbath, that he's the fulfillment of this fourth commandment, and Sabbath rest was a shadow of Christ himself. And by placing our personal trust 
in Jesus Christ and receiving him by faith, we enter into his rest. He is our rest. Colossians 2, verse 16 says, Therefore let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or respect to a festival, new moon or Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Okay? So we don't find in the New Testament then any requirements of Sabbath observance as the Jews had in the Old Testament other than receiving Christ. Amen? Every day to a Christian is rest in Christ. Tracking with me so far? So whether or not we observe and honor a certain day above others is clearly a matter of Christian liberty before God. To the follower of Christ, all days are to be reserved and lived for God, according to Romans 14 we saw. Jesus clarified the issue, Paul confirmed the issue, but people still confuse the issue. And somehow we've got off track. Some certain Christian groups say that now the Old Testament Sabbath has been changed to Sunday, and they're following the pattern of the Pharisees. They've locked people in to all kinds of ridiculous rules about what you can and cannot do on Sunday. The idea is simply not in Scripture. No biblical warrant for Sunday being the Christian Sabbath. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't make Sunday a Sabbath day if we choose to do that before Christ. But there's no law saying that that's what it is, and there's no history that says it got changed to that. It's the principle behind the command that has relevance for us today. Can I say that again? It's the principle behind the command that has relevance for us today, and probably more so today than at any other time in history. So it's important to know how the Sabbath applies to us. To complete the circle then, we need to realize what it should be personally, okay? On a personal level. Each one of us has to decide how we will practically apply the ointment of Sabbath rest to our own lives. Can I say that again? Because you came here today thinking that I was going to give you all the ways that you're supposed to do it. <laughs> Each one of us has to decide how we will practically apply it according to what God is leading us to do. As author Tim Kimmel writes in his powerful little book, Little House on the Freeway, God wants us to enjoy genuine rest, not just a good night's sleep, that kind of rest that satisfies the body, but an internal rest that bathes the soul in contentment. Catching what I'm saying? Years ago, there was a contest held in which artists were invited to paint a picture of peace. So think of that in your mind now. If I asked you to sketch a picture on the back of your bulletins of peace, what would you sketch? The entries were eventually narrowed down to just two. The first artist had interpreted perfect peace by painting a quiet lake cradled high in the lonely mountains, kind of like the picture behind me. The second artist painted a thundering waterfall with a branch of a birch tree bending over the foam and on the fork of that limb, wet with spray, was a robin who sat 
totally undisturbed on her nest. That's peace. Maybe many of us would like to identify with that robin. Because our lifestyles are filled with unavoidable stress and activity like the waterfall. Can't make it go away. It's going to happen. And it doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon. And in learning what God's word has to say about genuine rest, we too can gain an unshakable calm in the midst of the storm. But there is a paradox that we must accept, and it's this, that the very elements that bring us rest may also move us to the outer limits of our comfort zones. Learning to adopt the unforced rhythms of grace to which Jesus calls us means the ability for us to say no in a world that consistently demands our yes. Learning to adopt the unforced rhythms of grace to which Jesus calls us means the ability to say no in a world that consistently demands our yes. And I want to tell you that's a risk. That's a risk. You know what it's a risk of? It's a risk of our identity. Think about it. To practice Sabbath rest is a subversive act on our part which confronts and unravels the world's propensity to define us by what we can accomplish, by what we can produce, and by what we can achieve in our human strength. That's the world we live in. We base our identity on what we do, even in the church. There's about a bazillion ministries going on all the time. All kinds of events to attend. All kinds of things that you should be serving in. All of these things. To risk taking a Sabbath day is subversive. You see that? And the church has bought into the world system by constantly keeping Christians always active. But God says, you need to take a day of rest. In an indictment against Israel's gross failures through the prophet Isaiah, God said this in Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. He says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and in trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. That's a heavy indictment. Do we fall into that category? Are you so deeply at rest in your identity in Christ that you can resist conforming to the world's lies that scream you are what you do. So let's do a little self-check. Okay? Let me ask you a few telltale questions. You, you just log them in your mind. You don't have to answer me. Trust me, you don't want to answer me. I had enough of my own issues here going through this list myself. Does your relationship to God seem more routine than real? Are you so tense that you can't relax even when you have time to do so? 
Are you uncomfortable with quiet? How long could we sit here? <laughs> Do you view rest as a waste of time? I've talked to people like that. Are you seldom satisfied with what you have? Do you feel overworked and underappreciated most of the time? Do you constantly worry about things that you cannot control? Do you feel that you cannot be happy unless you are successful? Do you tend to ignore your body's cues about rest and constantly live in a state of depletion? Is your identity attached to your work and your accomplishments and your achievements? Do you have a hard time saying no to people other than your wife and children? If you answered yes to more of those than you care to admit, then you need a healthy dose of commandment number four. If there's one thing that God wants us to understand about this command, it's that Sabbath rest is a choice that we must make. Say that again. Sabbath rest is a choice that we must make. Let me illustrate that. Philip Parham tells the story of a rich industrialist who was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. Why aren't you out there fishing, he asked. The guy replied, because I've caught enough fish for today. Well, why don't you catch more fish than you need, the rich man asked. Well, what would I do with them? Well, you could earn more money, came the impatient reply, and buy a, a better boat so you could go deeper and catch more fish. And you could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish, and make more money, and soon you would have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. The fisherman asked, then what would I do? Well, he said, the industrialist said, you could sit down and enjoy life. The man said, what do you think I'm doing now? <laughs> See, it's a choice. Adele Calhoun observes in her book, Invitations from God, quote, slaves have no Sabbath, no rest, no time off. Slaves exist to work. Stopping for a slave was not an option. You may not feel like a slave per se, she says, but if you compulsively work, if you cannot stop, if you cannot turn off the email, you aren't free. You're just a slave with an income. Are you a slave with an income? God said, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But we in the Western church have developed Sabbath amnesia, as someone said. Think about the term. I love the term. It kind of stuck with me. I've been thinking about it all week. Sabbath amnesia. To put it bluntly, we have forgotten to remember what God told us to remember. And the sad result of our Sabbath amnesia, as I recently read, is that we have become perhaps the most emotionally exhausted, psychologically overworked, spiritually malnourished people in history. God's people are indeed saved from their sins, but apparently not from a bad memory. God said, remember 
the Sabbath. Keep it holy. God invites, he even commands us, writes Adele, to trust him to manage the world for 24 hours each week without our labor. You think he can handle that? We simply must choose to give him time and space on our calendars to the grace of God as it's outlined in his call to us for Sabbath rest. So my friends, out of God's original design for the Sabbath, we can draw at least, at least four principles that I believe were meant to be practiced by all men and women and children in every age since the dawn of creation where God rested on the seventh day. So these are just four principles. There's more probably, but I pulled out four from what we've studied so far. But the first one is this. We need to replenish. That's one of the things that we see in the original command and what God's originally doing in the creation, but we need to do it now. We need to replenish. We need time to recharge. I heard a pastor give a great illustration of this at a conference once. He likened the way we live our lives to going out to your car and turning on all the accessories, all, your light, all the lights, the stereo, the heater, the fans, everything, and seeing how long it would take to drain the battery to the point that your car wouldn't start anymore. How long do you think that would take? Any mechanics here? 20 minutes. 20, 45 minutes maybe? Maybe longer depending upon the age of the battery? You can deplete that sucker pretty fast, can't you? I know. I've killed mine a couple of times. <laughs> Simply by leaving that tiny little dome light on all night long. Even just a little thing like that. Battery dead. Once that happens, there are basically two ways to charge it back up, right? Of course, in our day and age now, we just buy new ones. But it used to be that you could go to a service center and get a quick charge, Right? which is a lot of amps and volts or whatever it is going back into that battery. But if you do that too many times, guess what happens to the battery? Fry it. You burn the plates out of it. You ruin it. So most mechanics will tell you not to do that. They'll say, I can give you a quick charge, but you really shouldn't do that. It's going to ruin your battery. Instead, I'm going to offer you what? Trickle charge, right? And it might take six or eight hours, but it won't damage the battery, and you'll be charged right back up again, right? People, listen, do you know how God designed the human body, human psyche? For trickle charging, trickle recharging. That's right. But you know what we want to do here in America? We want to go out and we want to do all kinds of things that massively deplete us and then we want to get massively recharged all at once. We want a quick recharge. And if you do that too many times, guess what happens? You're going to burn the plates out of the inside of your soul. God didn't design us that way. Mark chapter 6 Verse 30, we read these words about Jesus. It says, The apostles gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. 
And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. This is Jesus. You know, if you knew that you had only three years left of your life to get everything done that God wanted you to get done, would you be taken off with your team of guys and going to a secluded place and resting in the midst of great ministry opportunity? You know why Jesus could do that? Because Jesus knew exactly who he was. His identity was not all wrapped up in what he had to accomplish and do unless God was telling him to do it. At the end of Jesus' life, he said, Lord, in John 17, in the high priestly prayer, he said, Lord, I've accomplished the things you gave me to do. I've glorified you on the earth. Are we going to be able to say that when we die? Can you say that at the end of the week? In the fourth commandment, God brings us right back to the way he designed the cycles of work and rest. You know what it is? It's a six to one ratio. That's a divine pattern. God didn't need to rest on the seventh day, but he modeled it for us. He knew we needed a whole day to recharge, to focus, refocus our brains. We need to learn to relax, folks. Psalm 46.10, in the King James Version, says this. Some of you probably know this verse. Be still and know that I am God. Cease striving. The Hebrew term for be still is the term rapha, which basically means relax, be quiet, don't sweat it, let go. One paraphrase renders it like this. Step out of the traffic. Take a long, loving look at me, your high God, above politics, above everything. That's the message version of that. God says, relax, I'm in control. This is my creation, remember? Friends, if there's one thing I've learned in the time that I've been in ministry, it is that the path to Sabbath rest will always be a rivaled path. It's always going to be contested. Satan will not let you take time to reset your priorities to align with God's. Why would he? Why would he want you to learn what God wants you to do? Why would he want you to be well-rested refocused, recalibrated, raring to go for work in the kingdom. He wouldn't want that. See, there are always more and more needs to be met, always. And we are conditioned to think by both the, the enemy and our society, and sometimes even the church, that God always needs more and more help from us to meet those needs. But the truth is, the busier you and I get, the more we need more and more of him. George Mueller once said, the stops of a man are ordered by the Lord as well as his steps. I like that. You will never truly understand the power of God in your life until you understand and undertake the practice of godly rest and relaxation. You know what? We must let our souls catch up to our bodies. One man once described the momentary setting aside of the stressful concerns of the other six days 
on the Sabbath as a, quote, a retreat into restorative magic. That was American author Herman Wunk, who was himself a Jew and practiced Sabbath every week. He was a Pulitzer Prize winning writer. It's a retreat into restorative magic, and that really gets at it, I think. Sabbath rest recalibrates our spiritual compass. Blessed be to God for the day of rest, wrote William Wilberforce, wherein earthly things assume their true size. True, right? Have you ever noticed how the size of our problems often diminish when we slow down, take a breath, and see them from God's perspective? I've often had to remind myself and and other people that the problems that seem so immense to me, so immense to us that are way over our head, they're still under God's feet. Practicing Sabbath gives us that perspective. And it teaches us how to slow down and get fully recharged for the tasks that are coming over the next six days that we face. According to Mark Buchanan, J.R.R. Tolkien gives us one of the most entrancing descriptions of the true nature of Sabbath in book one of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. He describes a time of rest and healing in the house of Elrond in Rivendell. The hobbits, along with Strider, their guide, have made a dangerous, almost fatal journey to this place, and they will soon have to make an even more dangerous journey, almost certainly fatal, away from this place. But in the meantime, while they're there, this is what Tolkien writes about it in that book. Quote, For a while the hobbits continued to talk and think of the past journey and of the perils that lay ahead. But such was the virtue of the land of Rivendell that soon all fear and anxiety was lifted from their minds. The future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but ceased to have power over the present. Health and hope grew strong in them, and they were content with each day as it came, taking pleasure in every meal and in every word and in every song. Did you hear that? The future good or ill, was not forgotten, but ceased to have power over the present. That is what Sabbath is. Psalm 127 in verse 2 says, it's useless to rise early and go to bed late and work your worried fingers to the bone. Don't you know that he enjoys giving rest to those he loves We need to replenish, that's first. Second principle, we need to rejoice. The Sabbath is about finding joy. Paul wrote to the Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Learn to rejoice in God. That's what we do when we practice Sabbath. We learn to find joy in the things that God has created, the people that he's created, the relationships that we have, the things that he's blessed us with. We rejoice in the fact that God not only created man, but at the height of his creative genius, he created a day of rest for us. That's the basis of Genesis 1 and 2. 
Can't you just see God on the seventh day unfolding his deck chair? Folding his arms behind his head and looking over creation, just saying, ah, doesn't get any better than this. Is this place great or what? Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24 says, So I decided that there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. And then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? Sabbath refocuses our attention on the God of all creation. So, eat good food. Enjoy good music. Play games. Have fun. But all do it all to the glory of God and remember who gave you that gift. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 again, verse 7. Go then, eat your bread in happiness and drink your wine with a cheerful heart for God has already approved your works. Let your clothes be white all the time and let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the woman whom you love all the days of your fleeting life which he has given to you under the sun. For this is your reward in life and in your toil in which you have labored under the sun. You know, white clothes and oil here in this text indicate festal joy. Solomon saying, make the most of every opportunity that you have for God. Six different times in the book, of Ecclesiastes, Solomon encourages us to rejoice in the gift of life that God has given us. Enjoy it. The Epicurean Greek philosophers would say, say it like this. They'd say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But God says in the Bible, rather, eat, drink, and rejoice in life, but live it with me and in obedience to me, for tomorrow the judgment's coming. That's what Ecclesiastes ends up with saying at the end of the book in chapter 12, verse 13, the conclusion, Solomon writes, when all has been heard is this, fear God and keep his commandments because this applies to every person for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. So here's some godly practical advice. Take a day every week to sit back and celebrate life with the God who gave it to you. If you don't, your joy, your spontaneity, your creativity, and your sense of humor will shrivel up. You will lose your motivation and your life will be reduced to nothing more than a treadmill of dull existence. When was the last time by your standard, when was the last time that you laughed out loud? A really deep gut laugh brought tears to your eyes or maybe even made you snort. <laughs> what was the last time? When was the last time you were really, really happy about life? Someone once described our insanely paced lifestyle pretty well in the Saturday Evening Post goes like this. This is the age of the half-read page and the quick hash and the mad dash, the bright night with the nerves tight, a plane hop with a brief stop. 
the lamp tan in a short span, the big shot in a good spot, and the brain strain and the heart pain and the cat naps till the spring snaps and the fun is done. Listen to those last four words or five words and the fun is done. Is the fun gone out of your life? You know when that was published, by the way, in Saturday Evening Post? Sounds like it could have been published yesterday. 1949. If it was that out of control then, what is it now? I like the way J.B. Phillips translates 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Be happy in your faith at all times, he says. Faith and fun, you know, are not mutually exclusive. Learn how to play. We all need to learn how to play. I read that John Calvin, the great reformer, led his congregation in worship in the morning and in the afternoon went out to play Skittles. You know, Skittles was an ancient version of bowling. He used to do that with the people of Geneva. See, we all need to learn the importance of play. So play with your kids. Wrestle with your spouse. Run with your friends. Take the time. Make the effort. Spend the money. You'll be sorry if you don't. Tim Hansel hits the mark, and he says, play is more than just non-work, by the way. It is one of the pieces in the puzzle of our existence, a place for our excesses and exuberances. It is where life lives in a very special way. In play, you can abandon yourself. You can immerse yourself without restraint. You can pierce life's complexities and confusions. You can become whole again without even trying. Whoever said that a Christian couldn't enjoy himself? Beware of the barrenness of a busy life. Life is short. Play hard. Enjoy the gifts of God around you. Figure out what it is that relaxes you. Sailing, golfing, fishing, biking, running, laying in a hammock. Take some time and sail. Play disc golf. But make sure your attitude is good, though. <laughs> That's the thing for me, you know. I play disc golf for relaxation, but I come out of there more stressed half the time than anything else. You can ask Eric, he'll tell you. <laughs> I gotta learn though, I'm gonna force, I, it's the last thing I do, I'm gonna learn how to play that sport and not get angry. <laughs> Bike, dance, hike, run your brains out, but do it for God's glory. And you know what? I think that you and I are all smart enough to know the difference that when we're doing it for ourselves and we're doing it for God, when it becomes an idol to us and it becomes another treadmill that we have to do, that's not what God's after. So we need to replenish, we need to rejoice, and we need to reflect. In one of his books, Tony Campolo tells of a sociological study that ought to tell us something about our value system. In this study, 50 people over the age of 95 were asked one question. If you had it to do your life all over again, what would you do differently? Question was left open-ended. 
Each could answer it any way he or she pleased. Three answers, however, consistently dominated the responses. If I had it to do over again, I would reflect more, risk more, and do more things that would live on after I'm dead. Those are the three top answers. Notice the top answer, however. I would reflect more. That's exactly what God wants us to do on the Sabbath. Notice the number one answer. Reflect. I would reflect. Observing the Sabbath means taking a breather to reflect on God, on his word, on his principles, on his beauty, on his love, his discipline, his voice. We need to reflect on our dreams, our hopes, our fears, our goals, our lives, our sins, and our undeserved forgiveness of those sins through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we need to reflect on that relationship that we have with him through faith. See, through reflection, we can see how God is at work and it helps us to see where he is leading us for the next six days. But that's the catch, you know. By taking time out, we have to deal with some painful insights that we just as soon avoid. We don't want to see the real us. We're scared to death of it. And so, we keep busy. We keep moving. We keep running on empty, as the song goes. We've got to stop long enough to realize, as someone said, that many of our activities are nothing more than a cheap anesthetic to deaden the pain of an empty life. That truth hurts, doesn't it? And I know it's more real than any of us care to admit. In fact, after last week's message, I had a, a guy come up to me, a friend of mine, and when we were talking about the intimacy thing, into me see, you know, God sees into my heart, and then we are allowed to see into his. The gentleman comes up to me and he says, you know what? That's a terrifying thing to have God see into my heart and for us to look into his. And it is, isn't it? But if we know who we are in Christ, it's not so terrifying. By taking the time to reflect, we give God an open invitation to recreate us. That's what the word recreation means, right? Recreate. Do we even associate those two things? To shape us into God's image, reflection is never, ever a waste of time, my friends. Listen to the wise words of an unknown author. He said, I wasted an hour one morning beside a mountain stream. I seized a cloud from the sky above and fashioned myself a dream. In the hush of early twilight, far from the haunts of men, I wasted a summer evening and fashioned my dreams again. Wasted? Perhaps. The folks say so who have never walked with God when lanes are purple with lilacs or yellow with goldenrod. But I have found strength for my labors in that one short evening hour. I found joy and contentment. I found peace and power. My dreaming has left me a treasure, a hope that is strong and true. From wasted hours, I have built my life and found my faith anew.
Kind of a cool little poem. Our maturity in Christ is stunted, my friends, by a failure to reflect. And you know what strangles reflection? Busyness. You don't have time to think. Some of us could use a few wasted hours of reflection, couldn't we? Jesus took time to replenish. He took time to rejoice. And he took time to reflect. You know how I know that? Because there are times in the New Testament when the scripture says that Jesus walked from Nazareth to Capernaum and throughout Galilee. And then he went to Jericho and Jerusalem and then to Bethany and back again. What was he doing? What was he doing? He was replenishing. He was rejoicing with his disciples. He was reflecting. You can look it up all through the Gospels. Sabbath rest is a choice, my friends, that we must make. It's a choice to do what our frenzied lives won't let us do. Slow down. We need to replenish. We need to rejoice. We need to reflect. Fourth thing is we need to respect. Respect or slash revere. We need to respect our relationship and revere our relationship with God. And that's what Sabbath rest does for us. Seldom do we reserve a whole day for God, right? Maybe a couple of hours if we're really conscientious on a Sunday morning. Our lives are so full of activity that even on Sunday, the so-called Lord's Day, we get annoyed if we can't get out of church in enough time to get to the beach or wherever we got going on. The Lord's Day has become the ultimate misnomer, hasn't it? Is it really the Lord's Day, according to the way we act? I don't think that's what the Lord had in mind. Respecting our covenant relationship means reserving all our days for Christ, obviously, whether it's the first day, the fourth day, or the seventh day. What really matters is if you use them responsibly for his glory. Whatever you do, Paul says, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. In this fast-paced requirements of daily life, true Sabbath rest is not so much focused on what to rest from, but learning the secret of who to rest in. Rest in Jesus. That is what it's about. We should be able to say with conviction at the end of the day, here it is, Lord, here, here's the day. It's yours. This day was yours, and here's what I did with it. And I know you're pleased with it. That last phrase, I know you're pleased with it. That's the hard one, isn't it? If you can do that with full confidence, you understand the principle of keeping the Sabbath day. It also indicates you've got a great relationship with Jesus. Well, there's probably a lot more we could say, and we will say it next time. We might even do some practicing next time. How about that? So come prepared. Get yourself all stressed up this week, and we'll take a rest next Sunday. I'm, no, don't do that. Let me close with this. Max Lucado in his book, The Applause of Heaven, says, when I was 10 years old, my mother enrolled me in piano lessons. How many of you, their mother enrolled them in piano lessons? <laughs> now, many youngsters excel at the, at the keyboard, but he said, not me. It's 
spending 30 minutes every afternoon tethered to a piano bench was a torture just one level away from swallowing broken glass. That's, what, that's the way he looked at it. The metronome inspected each second with glacial slowness, he says, before it was allowed to pass. Some of the music, though, I learned to enjoy. He says, I hammered the staccatos. I belabored the crescendos. The thundering finishes, I kettle drummed. But there was one instruction in the music that could never, could never obey to my teacher's satisfaction. The rest, the rest, that zigzagged command to do nothing. Nothing. Lucado says, what sense does that make? Why sit at the piano and pause when you can pound? <laughs> then he finishes that story with this line. He says, because my teacher patiently explained to me, music is always sweeter after a rest. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for giving us the gift of rest in the Sabbath. Forgive us, Lord, that we have not learned really well how to observe it. Teach us to observe it, Lord. Help us over these next few days before we come to meet together again to really, really allow your spirit to work on our souls in how to apply these things. And then give us the wisdom and discernment, Lord God, to outline a few more next time. But in all of it, Lord, we want to glorify you. We want to give this back to you because you gave it to us as a gift. So teach us, our Father, to enjoy Sabbath rest in Jesus and for his sake. Amen.